All right, green, 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 green across the board. All right, here we go. Hello, listeners and citizens of Broncos country. My name is Adan Diaz, and I am joined today by my co-host, Richie Richie. And to our Spanish viewers and listeners out there, bienvenidos al programa. Hoy mi nombre es Adan Diaz y estoy acompañado por mi compañero y locutor, el señor Richie Rich Richie. And you guys y todos ustedes are here for Broncos Talk. Okay, for the record, that didn't go off the way I wanted to. So if that came off a little bit screwed, I do apologize. But I've been working on that intro all day trying to mix English and Spanish. So I hope that works out. But Richie Rich, how are you, my friend? Not too bad. I'm great, thanks. In in Canada, we call, because Spanish is not a main or primary language here, it's French. Uh, so when, when we have the French and English combined, we call that Fringlish here in mm -hmm. Canada. Uh, just so that everyone's, uh, you know, wants to kind of go north of the border and learn that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. Well, Rich, we have a good show on our hands today. And today we're going to talk about the special teams. Yes. And we're also going to talk about what uh, we're going to dive into the topic of everybody's uh, conversation about uh, Matthew Stafford and the whole shebang. And uh, oh, thank you. My pants are done. You can't get that anywhere else, folks. Only live. This show's um, PG. Let's let's keep it that way, please. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, we're also going to talk about Matthew Stafford, and also we're going to take in comments and from our listeners and audience and spectators. Hello, everybody. Hello, Albert, Mike, Raúl, and who else is coming in? Uh, so. Let's get on to the first point of the show, which is special teams. Now, this is an, uh, a, a, a topic that's been talked about since the end of the season, and that's about one Tom McMahon. And I don't know about you, Richie Rich, but I'm starting to think that Tom McMahon has some dirt on somebody to have kept his job after going over that horrendous season. I agree. Um, <clears throat> the only other thing that I, I have made a comment on elsewhere, uh, Twitter, uh, you know, uh, forums, whatever, is in order to move on from someone, you need to also have someone that you intend to, at the very least, bring in to confirm for some form of confirmation bias that they're your replacement. So I, I do think that, you know, we, we need to be mindful of, of that fact. Do we have someone that we believe is better than Tom? I think there's a whole whack of people that are better than Tom, including probably, you know, a quarter or so of college coaches. But that's besides the point. The point is you need to have someone who you believe is better within the organization. No, I, I totally agree. And you know what? It, and it's funny that we're bringing this up, up today because just before we went live, Rich, I saw a, a topic that uh, the Denver, the official Denver Broncos website brought up in point, and that's about the... I don't know if you saw Super Bowl 50, you know, being a Broncos fan and anything. <laughs> oh, I did. It, that amazing and controversial play by Jordan Norwood, where supposedly he called a fair catch. He caught the ball, but there was no whistle. Nobody tackled him. He just caught the ball and he took off. And, you know, people were speculating that Carolina was off guard, that supposedly he called a fair catch and nobody saw it. And, I mean, there was so much talk, even though he technically didn't score on that play, but it put the Broncos offense in very good field position. So I don't really think of that play as, you know, as a turning point for the Broncos, you know, because it's not like Peyton Manning, you know, don't get me wrong. I love Peyton Manning, the sheriff and everything, but he didn't go off and throw like a bomb touchdown or anything. Unfortunately, the Broncos offense couldn't, uh, you know, uh, take advantage of, of said field position. But the Broncos have been missing just that one guy, you know, somebody like Trendon Holiday, who we, you know, speedy wide receiver uh, or, or speedy, speedy guy, I should say, who when he caught the ball, if you didn't stop him, that man was gone. Well, Trendon Holiday also had um, his own challenges, if we remember. Um, I mean, let's be real. Every time he caught the ball, 
you held on to your breath for the entirety of the return, including up to and including when he hit the turf, um, <laughs> because you were never sure if that ball was going to stay in his hands. Um, the Norwood uh, catch, though, from Super Bowl 50, the, the controversy was, did he do this or did he do this? Because if you wave up, it means one thing. And if you wave down, it means another. And it, right. So one of them is basically you trying to signal to your teammates, like, get out of my way, get out of my way. And then the other one is basically signaling to the other team, you know, please don't take my head off. Is this a fair catch? Um, and, you know, the two are subtly different, but they are different. And so the argument was, no, he didn't call fair catch. He basically tried to wave off his teammates to tell him to get out of the way. I understand how there can be confusion there. Um, I actually believe that some of our issues on special teams are a little bit deeper than just having a, a speedy wide receiver. I think Spencer is is relatively quick. You know, he's certainly not the guy that I would say, hey, let's keep him long term, and he's fantastic as a returner for us. But uh, I, I think that what our special teams has really shown is a uh, we need better coaching there, and b we are really, really lacking when it comes to depth on the team in terms of real high quality players. Um, because that's what special teams often is. Like you have those depth guys that you come in and you say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that guy has, you know, like let's say, for example, you have a linebacker who is on special teams that seems to just tackle and block everybody. Well, you might give him a shot, you know, later in a game or, or you know, give him a shot if someone gets hurt just because he's shown out for you on special teams. And if you're going to be honest, that's how the Broncos used to do things here when Pat Bolden was around. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree, Rich. And unfortunately, uh, it, it's it, basically everything starts with how the uh, special teams coordinator runs that unit, you know. And we, you got to give some credit to Deontay Spencer. He didn't have like the most fantastic season. He didn't run a bunch of uh, 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 returns back. He only had one on the year, if I'm not mistaken. He did have a couple of highlight plays along the year where it looked like he could have if he had some more spacing he could have had it uh you know had some running room but the the point is is that if tom mcmahon does get another uh chance at at the helm and it's starting to look that way uh then i i don't i don't see this unit getting any better i still think that this can be uh and part you know an achilles heel to what uh george payton our gm is trying to do he you know he's trying to build a really good football team and obviously it's not going to all happen under one season there's going to be a lot of coaches and players on the hot seat going into 2021 some of them may make it to the end of the season some of them may not well that's you know still to be decided but the fact that that, that somebody like mcmahon still has a job somebody in that front office whether it's elway payton or you can go as as far back as joelis if you want seems to have an idea or think that whatever McMahon is doing or has been doing for the last couple of years is working. Yeah, I I, I, I look at it from a two-pronged issue. I, I think there's the back end of the roster, I think, is lacking some of that depth. Uh, and I honestly think that clearly our special teams coaching and or scheme is lacking. And I think that let's put it this way when you're missing both you're in real trouble and i think we're missing both <laughs> so so I, I mean i don't i don't know there's anything else you could say to that <laughs> no and and i i totally agree and it, it, i just uh, like there unfortunately special teams isn't really one of those positions where you know you can just go off and pick another it's not as as founded as i thought it was like you know a head coach or offensive or defensive coordinator it's kind of like it's from what i was told it's more of a promotional type of thing you know so if you have somebody in your organization that works you know underneath the special team coordinator then it's like okay well you worked under them you know you get promoted you're now the coordinator so I don't know if that's relatively true. I myself don't have an exact idea of how special team coordination and all that razzmatazz goes along, but something has to be done because I personally don't think that Tom McMahon is the answer. He should have been fired the, the day after, if not the hour after the last Broncos game. And I, it just, I don't know. It irks me as a Broncos fan to see 
what the Broncos do in terms of, you know, free agent moves, in terms of drafting in, in the draft, later on towards the draft anyway, and what George Payton is going to try to do to help improve. Right. Rolo Flores has a, a great question uh, here that I wanted to get to there in the chat. Um, Raul, thank you very much for joining, by the way. Appreciate it. Uh, like, share, and retweet. And help we can get more people in here as well, just like you. Um, this is the big deal. So let, let's. I, I just want to really dig into this because when you look at the really good teams in the league, your perennial, except for this year, uh, playoff teams like your, your New England's, uh, even your uh, Baltimore Ravens, uh, you know, some of these perennial playoff, even um, you could go as far as saying even the uh, New Orleans Saints, uh, if you want to kind of go down the, the list there. The one thing they all have in common is they spend time on their special teams and they ensure that their special teams are sound. Uh, and you actually flip the coin and you look at the Denver Broncos from uh, from last year, particularly the first game they played that we played against the Kansas City Chiefs. One of the main reasons why we got so far behind in that game is just speaking to your like how much time should or could a special teams coach have away from the game plan. Well, I would argue that we didn't spend quite enough time on that particular game plan because the special teams was one of the big reasons why we ended up so far behind and so much in a hole in that game. And despite that, we still held Patrick Mahomes to some of his worst stats of the year. So just imagine if we had actually spent some proper and appropriate time on our special teams play and had a more competent coach where we could have ended up being in that game if we hadn't dug ourselves in such a deep hole and and a bill belichick for example and even a i mean obviously the ravens head coach is a special teams coordinator originally so he's kind of got a probably a soft spot in his heart just for that as a as a general coaching and position group where where would we be if we actually were better at special teams very well said my friend very well said so, uh, you know, unfortunately, this is a topic that doesn't require a lot of um, addressing because it's it's so simple. And with a new GM underneath uh, this in this team, hopefully something gets done where some type of rejuvenation comes in and, you know, just changes the atmosphere and, you know, puts not just the AFC West teams on notice, but the entire league. Agreed. So uh, let's switch. Uh, let's switch gears. And let's get into what everybody's been talking about. And I'm surprised we haven't got a question about it yet, which is the Matthew Stafford trade. So me personally, Rich, and me and you talked about this before we went live on the air. I'm, I say, you know, good riddance in terms of no more having to worry about Matt Stafford. I don't have anything against him. I just, I'm, I'm really happy that George Payton didn't pull the trigger when that counter offer came from the Lions in, in terms of what they wanted. And I'm really glad that Peyton did not bite. And I've been hearing it all day from uh, from my co-host on my high round table, people on social media, you know, going back and forth. Broncos country is divided, Rich. Some people think that the Broncos, you know, missed out, that they should have went out, uh, you know, put more chips on the table to get Matthew Stafford. But you're going to hear it from me first. I say that it's it's done. And hopefully this puts a kibosh also on this whole thing with Deshaun Watson, because as much as you can Photoshop the Broncos jersey on Deshaun Watson all you like, that's not going to happen. Because if you think what the Rams gave up for Matthew Stafford was ludicrous, just imagine what the Texans are going to want for somebody of Deshaun Watson's character and caliber, I should say. The, the problem with what they gave up for Matt Stafford was... It was worse, actually. I mean, the, the Rams <laughs> blew my mind what they ended up giving away for Stafford. And and I first off, this is going to be one of those kind of boring segments, I guess, because, you know, every show you want like the one so guy on the one side and the other guy on the other to kind of start butting heads. Um, un unfortunately, that's just not going to happen this go around. I actually completely agree. Um, my my take and it, you can go back and watch our uh, our last episode, which I highly recommend everybody does. Um our last episode there was the one thing I brought forward. I said, we, I, I want us to put something on the table for Matt Stafford because I do believe he is an upgrade from, from Drew Locke. 100%, no questions asked. It's it full, full stop. But you can't give up more than even that first round pick. And that's it. Really, like that full stop, that's it. And, and you give it up for this year and this year alone because you're basically immediately upgrading one of the most important positions on the field. And then, but what's more important than that 
is you're not jeopardizing your future by giving away all those additional ones, which are premium picks, and I don't care where you're picking in the first round. And you need to retain the 2021 draft, second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth round, because you don't get to 5-11 and 11 when you're only one quarterback away. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And, you know, and I've been hearing, I don't know who I heard this comparison from somebody who said that, you know, Matthew Stafford is going from, you know, cold, cold and snowy Detroit to, you know, warm and sunny L.A. And in my head, I'm like, they play in a dome. Ford Field is a giant dome, so it could be sunny and bright outside all you like or rainy or cold. The temperature inside is still the same thing. So that's not that's not a factor. So to me, that was pretty pretty a pretty dumb comparison but i think that for the rams the rams gave up if i'm not mistaken i think it was between five for the next five to six years of their first round draft picks for jalen ramsey for now matthew stafford and i forget who else but maybe it's just those two guys but for the next five or six years the la rams will not be picking in the first round unless they can do something in terms of trading back up there um, so feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but that's just no, how I, no. I perceived it. And to me, that's, you know, I, I like to gamble sometimes, Rich. I like to do scratch offs and, you know, play the lotto when it inflates up to eight, 900 million. But for me to put all my chips in like that in a Super Bowl or bust, that is probably one of the biggest gambles I've seen so far. One of the greatest takes I saw in this, and it was more not a take, it was more just a straight comment. If Actually, if you want to be honest, it's a fact. Um, Aaron Donald doesn't exist in the third, fourth, and fifth round. Okay? Like, like, like the Rams didn't get Aaron Donald in the later rounds of the draft. They got him in the first round of the draft. Mm-hmm. And if, if I'm correct, I think it's something like six or seven years in a row now, they're not going to have a first-round pick in the NFL draft. Yep. Um, because they gave away the first round pick for Jalen Ramsey. They gave her a first round pick for another player that is escaping my mind. And then even before that, like they gave away two firsts in order, I think, to move up to get Goff in mm-hmm. that draft where they, they got him from. And then the next draft that they ended up with a first round pick in, they drafted Darnold or um, Aaron Donald. Sorry. Oh, Aaron Donald, yeah. yeah. Um, Aaron Donald. And then I don't think they've had a first round pick since. Like it, it's, it, it's I I just don't get it. And and to me, I think that puts them in a very dangerous position. One which I was very concerned with with George Payton history, particularly what the uh, Vikings have done in terms of their cap piece is if you give away all those first round draft picks and you need to rebuild yourself with talent, the only option that you then have to really get that premium level kind of talent is to then go pay free agents. So then you end up in this like almost cycle where if you want to continue to be competitive, you almost need to almost overpay to then get that talent into your team. And then you end up getting cash strapped through the uh, cap. So you're almost you're really shooting yourself in your foot, in my opinion, by continuously giving up these first round picks and not treating them with the value that they deserve. That's correct. All right. Let's get to some comments here, Rich. Albert Knoppers. Welcome. Thanks for watching the show, my friend. He says we can win and get to the play. That must be uh, Canadian. Pluoffs. Pluoffs <laughs> with luck. Yeah. Albert, uh, I just want to say thank you very much. You've been in the the stream, you know, pretty much since the beginning of the show. And so I, yeah. I really appreciate you showing up. And uh, uh, thank you very much. And I think it's possible, uh, to your comment, I think it's absolutely possible. Um, if we are going to try and get to the playoffs with Locke, and you're going to hear some of this as our show progresses and stuff, I have a starkly different opinion of our team's offensive line than most people in my opinion i think our team's offensive line needs to be dramatically improved um and i'll get into that in our later shows in terms of why i think that way and i'll start pointing out a few things uh, as to why i have that opinion and i welcome anyone who wishes to disagree with me (laughs) (laughs) nick welcome thanks for joining the show my friend he says was also pushing for stafford but not for that much we definitely dodged a bullet there Raul Flores adds, lots of backup QBs turn into good coaches. I don't think we need a three or fourth quarterback. Bring someone that will help our young quarterback development and be good if his number is called. Now, I will tell you, Rich, before you throw your two cents into this hat, the one thing that scares me when I get a Denver alert is that 
the Broncos, especially, and this is, I'm trying to prep myself ready for when free agency starts because I'm thinking that I'm going to get that text that says, you know, the Broncos go off and get somebody like Fitzmagic or, you, you know, <laughs> yeah, just like Mundungus, somebody that's going to start over Locke. And that's kind of like my fear right now because I don't want anybody to start over Locke. I want somebody, if they're going to bring in to light of the fire underneath Drew's feet that says, okay, look, Drew, if you don't play up to par and you, you know, your play drops and you, you bring that 2020 season into this season, then, you know, you're going to get pinched or, or benched. I'm sorry. So, and it, because if you bring a, a starter over and they start over Drew Locke, then that's basically, not only does that make me sad, but you're basically kind of taking your stock out of Drew Locke and saying, hey, look, it, it could be something some basic answer and then you know that the the whoever comes in they play great and then they they forget about drew lock i don't think the um i wouldn't necessarily see fitzpatrick as a starter over drew lock um i i do think that the intentional element of bringing in probably a short list of a handful of QBs like that. So you'd have like an Andy Dalton, you'd have uh, Alex Smith, um, and you'd have Fitzpatrick that would probably all be within that. They would basically, if either of those three guys were brought in, they're basically standing there with the blowtorch pointing upwards at the depth chart and saying, let's go. Um, and and I think as, as, as a competitive individual, you should want that. You should want someone that's challenging you so that you can elevate yourself to be better. And as a competitor, you should want that. Um, Drew Locke, though, the problem is, is unless he can show, and this is, again, my thing that I've spoken about a couple times before, he needs to select either his footwork or he needs to improve the reading of a, of a defense and he needs to focus on that in the offseason. And he needs to come in showing that he has improved that. And then the biggest one for me that I would actually prefer that he works on out of those two, and then added in the third, which I think is even more important, is his ball placement. He really, really, like, honestly, if there was one thing that he just need, if he could fix that one thing, I think you would see that immediate leap forward. Mm -hmm. If he fixes his ball placement, man, can he ever make a difference as a quarterback? Because you know, imagine like three or four of those picks were all due to his ball placement. They weren't necessarily due to an absolute poor decision or a poor throw per se. It was a matter of he threw it four feet to the left rather than three feet to the right. And it would have made of all the all the difference in the world. I wholeheartedly agree with you, Richie. I, I, I really do. Uh, Mahai Roundtable podcast. Thank you very much for <laughs> coming on and watching the show. They say everyone keeps saying that the trade for Stafford was stupid because they gave up their first rounders and won't have first rounders for the next few years. Didn't the Patriots trade out of the first round like five years in a row and still make it to the playoffs and or the Super Bowl? Does a first round pick really make or break you if you already have a playoff caliber team? You want me to go with that first or you want to go? Go ahead. I need to collect my thoughts. Okay. Two things. And then it's all over to you. One, the Patriots had their franchise quarterback in Tom Brady, so they did not need to focus on obtaining that top caliber, absolute mission critical position on the team. And two, the New England Patriots draft for a system. They do not draft for a specific player. And that is a big, that's a huge deal. Like, like just, you know, for everyone listening and watching, that, that's, that literally makes all the difference in the world. So because the Patriots are trying to draft for a fit rather than a skill set of a, I want a fast guy or I want a slow guy, they're saying, I need someone who can tackle and do this and do this. They draft for that player. You don't need to find all those guys in the first round. And that is why they were always able to make it to the playoffs every year in large part, to be quite honest, because they had number 12, as much as that pains me to say aloud and recorded. <laughs> well i'm afraid uh i'm afraid i'm gonna have to agree with you rich and that's actually one of the points that i was gonna make and you you we our, our minds were thinking on the same save wavelength uh so you know having a guy like tom brady on your team is really something and that speaks a lot because uh, i'm pretty sure there's gonna be somebody that's gonna say well what happened to tom brady last year 
And that's a very good question. Tom Brady is Tom Brady, but if you don't give him the weapons to be Tom Brady, even with his success that he's had over the last 20 years, there's only so much you can do. And the fact that Tom Brady got the Patriots to the wild card, at least, was saying a lot for what he did for that organization in his last game as a Patriot. Seeing what he's brought to Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay had weapons. Jameis Winston could be at the Super Bowl right now if Tom Brady had not chosen to go play for, for Tampa. We, you know, we could be saying that. And I know, I know that's skeptic because, you know, Brady and, and Jameis Winston, two different calibers, two different caliber quarterbacks. I get that. But they were both using the exact same weapons. The only difference is, is that Tom Brady is more more refined and his mind is a lot sharper than Jameis Winston's. You know, that's that's without being said. But it, it, it just it comes it, it's it's half coaching and half on the player. And if Tom Brady goes out, which and we'll get to the Super Bowl uh, predictions at the end of this, this episode. But let me just quickly say if Tom Brady goes out there and wins on Sunday and knocks the defending champion Kansas City Chiefs that he'll accomplish a feat that will probably take years to ever be brought, you know, to not only to be challenged, but to be broken. Well, it depends on what stat you're referring to. If you're talking about a quarterback going to another team and winning a Super Bowl, you could argue Peyton Manning had already done that before. Yeah, no, he, I'm talking about and getting And I'm happy to, you know, do the happy dance and celebrate that uh, to try and counteract the comment that I just made before, which I still feel wrong about the fact that I said it out loud. Um, but uh, just on your Jameis Winston comment there, um, I agree and I disagree at the same time. Jameis Winston is very much like Drew Locke, unfortunately, particularly at this stage in his career clearly has talent but he seems to love throwing the ball to the other team like Jameis Winston went 30 for 30 he threw 30 touchdowns and 30 picks in the season before he got traded away or cut right and uh, really if you look at what the biggest difference between the Tampa Bay Bucks this year and and the previous year I mean Tom Brady I think was it was it seven or 17 or something like that? I, I can't remember what the actual number was, but basically it was like less than half or half of the picks that were thrown. And then I think he threw as many or more touchdowns as well, like to counter it. So like you're talking more touchdowns and less picks by a margin of, of like almost half. So, I mean, that alone as a statistic makes all the difference in the world. You're throwing more touchdowns and you're not throwing the ball to the other team. That Like that's... <laughs> I don't even think you need to say more than that. Like that just makes nothing but sense, right? Right. All right. Let's uh, let's get to this question real quick, uh, Rich. Uh, Kenneth Booker, faithful listener, longtime viewer. Thank you very much, my good thank friend. You. He says, "What would you rather have? Two top-rated cornerbacks or four top-rated linebackers? The cornerbacks would be Bryson Farley or certain, or linebackers Von Chubb, Parsons, and Levante David." Uh, that's uh, that's a bit of a that's a bit of a doozy. Uh, I guess it all depends on uh, me personally. I'm more of a linebacker type of guy than I am cornerback. Uh, so I would like if you could get somebody like Levante David from free agency and you know bring him over to Denver and land somebody like Parsons or uh, I, I forget the name of the other linebacker that's also uh, slated to go pick Oku Oku something. I, I do apologize. Right? I don't remember his last name. But if you can get either one of those guys you'll have one of the most solid linebacker cores that can almost mimic what uh, Tampa Bay had uh, this this past season in terms of, uh, you know, getting a, a healthy Von back, healthy Chubb, uh, you know, breaking in the new guy and bringing somebody like Levante David in uh, from fresh off of either a Super Bowl win or a Super Bowl loss. It's an interesting one. Um so I'm going to pull back on a comment that was made earlier in the show, and I'm going to tie both that one and this one together. Mm -hmm. um, so I disagree, Vic. I actually really like Vic Fangio as a coach for us. Um, and I think if we're going to be honest, as Broncos fans, we would not have been even nearly as competitive this season if we did not have Vic Fangio as our head coach on this team. Um, if you look at the IR list that we had on this team, uh, six, that's, that's six, you know, uh, of our DBs were on our IR and two of them were our week one starters. 
Um, tying it back to this uh, that question there, given the fact that we have Vic as our coach and his coaching staff, I believe that if they have shown but nothing else is that they have a knack for coaching up DBs and CBs or cornerbacks. Um, and I feel comfortable, confident and comfortable in their ability to do so. So given and given the fact that we're looking at what we have in our division, what we probably have to go up against other teams, we need to get that middle of the field addressed. So I would absolutely go for the linebackers because they have been missing on our team since Super Bowl 50, which is, you know, you brought up earlier in the show, Adon. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, gone are the days where you ended up with the Trevathan in the middle of our linebacking core. And honestly, you just kind of look back at that and say, oh, wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> <laughs> Raul Flores with a question, and I do agree, Rich, that would be nice. He says, is there a chance the Broncos trade up or down on the draft if they decide to go with Drew to fix the O-line? going down to work with defense or first pick specific with cornerback. Now, I guess that kind of ties into what we were talking about and which also uh, I'll bring this comment up that was made by our producer, Mike Clark, who says the offensive line was ranked 12th in the NFL. What do they need to fix? So obviously our offensive line, the right tackle was, it was pretty much a turnstile when we had Wilkinson in there. There's no doubt about that. Dalton Reisner had a bit of a down year. He got pushed around Glasgow didn't live to every cent of his contract. He had some ups and down games, uh, at least in my perspective. Uh, not every game was terrible. And Cushenberry, he's a rookie. He's learning on the spot. You know, uh, one thing that always scares me about rookie centers is when they do that that over-the-head snap that happened to Pittsburgh twice, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in, their, in their game. And, you know, every Broncos fan has that nightmare from Super Bowl forty eight where the ball goes over the very first snap of the game goes right over Peyton Manning's head. Oh, so, you just knew it was going bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I have nightmares about that. So getting, obviously fixing our O-line is a priority, but it's not like an aching headache priority, you know? So, uh, it, I, I mean, like, you know, going first round, first draft pick headache, you know, like, at least in my, because... You 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 don't want to believe it, but we have to see what there is left of Jawan James. They're paying, the Broncos are paying Jawan James way too much money for him to just coast back in next season and say, "Hey guys, you know how's it going?" and act like nothing happened. I do respect his decision for him to have opted out because of COVID mm-hmm. reasons. That's that's totally understandable. I'm not tra- I'm not dogging on him for that. But the fact that he can come back in and act out leisurely like nothing happened, like he didn't just miss an entire year of football. And it, it just, he needs to come back and he needs to earn that contract. He needs to be hungry. He needs to come in with some motivation. And he, more than anything, he needs to learn to gel with that offensive line and, you know, become formidable again. A uh, lot to unpack here. Um, I'm going to apologize in advance. I have been very forthcoming with. Uh, six foot here and other people here uh at mile high round table i am perhaps a lone wolf if you will uh in terms of my opinion on the broncos offensive line uh actually it's really funny because just before the show i i I literally brought it up with you um that you know where i kind of generally stood on it uh just to directly answer that question yeah sure we showed up as ranking 12th great um my other point that I made before the show is my test of an offensive line isn't what you do between the 20s, which is where the majority of your plays are made. Um, my test of an offensive line is once you get from the 10 and and once you get at the 10 and need to score and more importantly, need to run the ball to try and balance that red zone attack. Can you do it? And um, I'm going to try and pull the stats on it, but certainly my eyeball test and when I was watching the tape and I was rewatching the games and that kind of stuff, the Broncos offensive line could not move the other defensive lines out of the way in order to get our running backs through to get a yard or two or three to get the ball into the end zone. Um, and then that was also why a lot of our red zone stuff, we got stuffed and ended up having to kick field goals rather than getting those touchdowns that, frankly, if we had gotten a bunch of them, would have made all the difference in the game. Getting to the actual players themselves, you cannot start an offensive rookie center if they are not a straight-up stud. 
the Broncos did it the right way with Matt Paradis when he was brought in, or Paradis if you want to go French, um, from Canada, um, and and we held him back, and then we stepped him in, and eventually when we got to Super when we got to Super Bowl Fifty, he was an absolute stud offensive center. Like he was a really really good offensive center. And to your point, Reisner regressed. I hated the Glasgow pick because. I, I, unlike a lot of people, yes, he didn't get pushed all the way back. But the problem is, is that at the first part of the snap, he was getting pushed backwards off the line. And then he then had to try and recover to push his guy forward to continue the block. When you're not the aggressor in that situation and the bully on the field to push your guy forward, you're automatically putting both yourself and your quarterback at a disadvantage. And that is not a good look for an offensive lineman. So my issue is the dead center of our offensive line and we need someone who I believe James can in fact be a great right tackle or a good right tackle because he was good before he got here. But again, a tackle, especially a right tackle, is the best of them typically come from within the first round or second round of the draft. And so unfortunately, I, this might be the one segment where I disagree with you a little bit, uh, is if we drafted a solid right tackle after even trading back or even staying where we're at and nailing it, like hitting it out of the park with that lineman pick, I would not be upset because the reason I think why so many players on the Broncos are not a fan of James isn't because of this past season in 2020. It's because of 2019 when all of the comments and rumors coming out of the Broncos organization was that he was healthy, but then just refused to play. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the real issue is. I don't think it's the 2020 season. I think most people can say, hey, look, I get it, man. No, no one knew what was happening with the, you know, the virus. And and I think that that they're they're looking back at 2019 and saying, you clearly showed us the last time where you were actually capable, healthy and able that you didn't want to, you know, see it. Right. Well, you know, by the way, that was me calling you, disagreeing with you because I didn't want to interrupt you through the podcast. So I thought I'd scare the heck out of you. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but it, it's okay. You know, it's it's agreed to disagree, Rich. And you make good points, and I like to think I make good points. But either way, it wasn't as bad as other teams, you know. And I give a lot of credit to Mike Munchak. The only thing that irritates me about Mike Munchak is him throwing a guy out there like Elijah Wilkinson and, you know, trying to dig for gold where they're like in a pit of mud so to speak um so that's a hit and miss but the the work he did with uh, garrett bowles who i forgot to mention during my little uh, uh rant or whatever is just beyond amazing and the fact that he got snubbed from the pro bowl sucks i know a lot of broncos fans were pissed off and i'm with them on that uh part but we just we just need to make sure that 2020 for garrett bowles was not a fluke that he doesn't regress and go back into being the Garrett Bowles that it was before. And I don't think he will because, you know, being a, a left tackle, is it's not an easy position. And like you said, the best left or right tackles usually go in the first round. Uh, just look at the the improvement that uh, uh, Wiffs has uh, has done with uh, the Bucks. He's been playing really good uh, uh, football on the, ta- on the offensive line, except I don't think he's a right tackle. I think he's a, a guard. I'm not sure. But either way, he's on the offensive line. Uh, But basically, pretty much, uh, the only problem that I had with Drew Locke and the offensive line, aside from his uh, positioning or or accuracy, like we talked about earlier, Rich, was the fact that most of the time, Drew Locke did not trust his pocket. And he tried to do this, this fancy thing where he barely had the ball and then he would scramble where he didn't need to scramble, you know? Most quarterbacks, they have to kind of take a risk and trust that their their linemen are going to create a pocket long enough for them to get rid of the ball or for them to open up a gap where the quarterback can, you know, kind of sneak in and see if anyone's open or make a run for it. And for me, there were a couple of times where the pocket was was clearly there, but Drew tried to run to the left, tried to run to the right, or he threw too early or he threw too late, and it was either a missed pass, an incomplete pass, an interception, or bobbled in the air by the wide receiver and intercepted. I mean, it was something that rarely led to what we saw from Drew Locke in 2019, where he was just throwing dimes, man. And it almost felt like he could do no wrong. 
Yeah, that's what I was kind of referring to when I was talking about the center of the line, though, earlier in my comment is for a good portion of that season and even into the back end of the season, he had a couple things he was dealing with. One, he would have a handful of free runners that were going to come, they were coming through the, the offensive line even later into the season. So he constantly had that running through his mind just because he couldn't fully trust the offensive line regardless if they were ranked 12th or not by Pro Football Focus or any of these other sites out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one issue. And then the other issue that he had was those three interior linemen, the, the center and the two guards. If they can't constantly maintain that kind of V that you normally get within the pocket there, and especially when the offensive center is regularly getting getting pushed backwards, you can't reliably expect that pocket to be there when that is your norm like that's when you like for for drew lock that was what he was expecting to see and that's part of the reason why i think he really struggled with what you were just talking about which was he had a pocket yeah well that's great that one time he did but the problem is the 10 throws before the pocket was gone so he was saying i could do that but then that guy right there that looks like he wants to kill me might actually do it (laughs) uh Let's um let's kind of switch gears a little bit, Rich. And I know we we kind of dove into the topic about uh, the linebackers, but you know let's let's uh, get into the uh, end of part of the show towards the end part of the show, and that's about uh, the secondary, which is cornerbacks. And Chad Mar Marcellus Marsalis, I'm sorry, I hope I didn't mispronounce your last name. Thanks for watching the show. He chimes in and says, "We will need a couple veteran cornerbacks. It's going to be hard to trust Callahan because of his health." Ojemudia, and even if we draft the rookie at nine, I've yet to see a rookie cornerback NFL ready. Who would you like to see in the backfield? Now, me basically, I was kind of skeptical when the Broncos went and got AJ Bouye. I I tried to be, you know, Mister Optimistic and try to, you know, think, oh well, you know, maybe a change of scenery will do Bouye good, you know, coming in and working in for a defensive-minded coach like Vic Fangio. But unfortunately. He started off on the wrong foot getting injured week one. And then when he came back, he didn't have anything that was like stellar. You know, it kind of seemed like pretty much the same AJ Bouye after they had that amazing uh, run in in Saxonville. Pretty much after that. That's the AJ Bouye we got. So we didn't get an improved version of that. And then he goes out and gets suspended for PEDs. And that pretty much to me put the nail on his coffin as a Denver Bronco uh come the offseason so i think that the broncos are gonna maybe get a cornerback in the second round maybe not so much first especially if one of their targeted linebackers is still sitting there at number nine but i don't think that the cornerback issue is as grave as it was when we ended the season the reason it was great when we towards the end of our the season was because the injury the injury bug was just it was biting everybody it was worse than covid to be honest with you, because it just went, I have never, as much, as long as I've been a Broncos fan, I have never seen the injury bug strike down one section of the, of a, of a, of a team so bad, you know, where it was just, it was just like, it almost got to a point where they were almost had to use wide receivers as backup cornerbacks. You know, it was, it felt like it was going to get that bad. So I, and I trust Vic Fangio, what he did with Ojemudia was pretty was really well because a lot of people were kind of skeptic into when he they even drafted him. Um, at least people who don't watch college football like myself. But I will admit I I ate crow because I think he had a pretty good uh, uh, season. It wasn't like fantastic, great, stellar or anything, but it was a lot better than I expected. Ojemudia played better than Boye. Yeah, definitely. I mean, let, let call a duck a duck. And, and that's kind of what I was referring to when I was talking about the other players and the drafts and the other teams, like, you know, the New England comment right earlier in the show. When you know your system and you have a system like Vic Fangio does, you can draft guys for your system. Right. And that's part of the reason why you saw Bassey, an undrafted free agent. Clearly, he was a target because I have never seen a coach go down to the bottom depths of the rungs of your roster and elevate a guy just because he's a guy. And let's be honest, especially near the back end of the season, just before he got hurt, he was really good. Like he was really starting to, to, to elevate his game up. 
So when it comes to cornerbacks, I tend to agree uh, 100% with you there, um, Six Foot. It's it's really, I mean, cornerback, cornerback, the only reason why I would tend to agree where we might need to maybe look at like drafting a guy or bringing a guy in is because I'm just trying to get the math right here. I think three or four of the six tore their ACLs. Mm-hmm. Or tore their MCL or ACL. Either way, you're talking a soft tissue tear. And um, a lot of the times with injuries like that, especially when you're dealing with a quick twitch, which is like what you need from your cornerbacks and stuff like that is for coverage and things, is that can sometimes take a full year after the injury has occurred for them to fully recover from it. So my only reservation and my only... I, I don't I don't think we really need it, but at the same time, I think we might need it. <laughs> it's, is you had so many injuries that were all soft tissue related with regards to the MCLs and ACLs that you may just need to go out and target someone just because for the same reason that we had at the back end of last year, which is you got so many guys hurt that they might not come back a hundred percent. And that that's going to be, that's really the only thing. That's really my big point. My, my big concern is, you know, maybe we go and get a, a mid round guy that fits a Fangio system maybe we get a mid-round guy that fits a Fangio system and 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 have him work in and and maybe he becomes another Bassey, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. But I think Motley might be brought back because he was a UDFA guy that really fits kind of a Fangio mold. Bassey is clearly a guy who fits a Fangio mold. Um, and I completely agree. I mean, the, re- the real problem with Callahan is, is for the majority of his career, he has really struggled with injuries. That being said, though, when he's healthy he's darn near top 10 maybe even top five right so i mean that's the problem with a guy like with, with that guy there is, is you're looking at him saying bryce man like it, figure out this whole injury thing and man you're going to be pricing yourself out of the market for the broncos to be able to retain you because you're just that good right i i wholeheartedly agree uh kenneth booker says i totally agree six foot ten the guards and center gay lock ptsd from the early game struggles i just wanted to add that i had somebody in my corner about that <laughs> uh raul flores says will we get safety just in case simmons goes away after next season i hope so uh is he asking if we're gonna get a safety in the draft or in free agency because i don't if the broncos are forced to get rid of one of their safeties i think that they'll probably do away with kareem jackson before they do justin simmons the only way justin simmons leaves or asks to, or doesn't come back a bronco is if he doesn't get that big contract because he kind of swallowed his pride last season when john elway didn't buck and you know give him a big name contract and i still stand by my point that i've said not only on this podcast but also on mhrt where i think that this season justin simmons didn't put out a good enough tape to say hey pay me big bucks you know pay me big the the highest paid safety money so to speak don't get me wrong justin simmons is a good safety he's got his strengths and he's got his flaws just like any other player but i just think that whatever he put on tape this season just hasn't been enough so whatever contract he does end up getting i hope it's friendly enough where it doesn't break the bank and you know it takes away re-signing somebody like um, you know Shelby Harris or uh, any other player on the team. Um, I was trying to avoid a little bit of FA because I have quite a bit to say on the topic, so I'm gonna I'm gonna really hold myself back here, guys. I'm I'm I, <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing my best. Um, I um, I'm gonna try and hold myself and just leave it there. Um, that being said, I could honestly see them keeping Kareem, not because I necessarily think that he's the best option for them per se, but they might want to keep that veteran leadership on the back end of the defense. If Justin Simmons is asking for the kind of money that I'm hearing he's asking for, and that might be a real problem for the Broncos. So the number that I'm hearing thrown around is like $17 million average per year uh, as a number. And I, again, for those that saw my my original guest appearance on Mile High Roundtable and subsequent kind of uh, permanent host here on, uh, on Broncos Talk, uh, <laughs> I'm a firm no on that particular number for Justin Simmons. Um, 
I actually think that he regressed this particular season, even though some of his numbers, his numbers and stats actually showed some growth in certain areas. Uh, I actually think that he, as a player, regressed uh, in in part because, again, six foot ten. You and I kind of, uh, I kind of mentioned this, and you kind of agree with me in the last segment. Fangio has a system, just like New England has a system, just like some of these other great teams has a have a system, and they work well. Fangio needs his back end of his defense to be physical tacklers. And we have seen time and time again, Justin Simmons fail or, or really whiff on tackles. We brought up multiple times on the show the the, the Sam Darnold whiff tackle. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter and all, I have post several uh, postings on some of Justin Simmons whiffed tackles on running backs that are running through the middle part of the field. That all needs to be corrected, and Fangio that drives Fangio nuts. Just I don't know if you've actually heard his pressers and stuff. I mean, it drives him bananas. He benched Bosby for the same type of play, so that that should tell you everything you need to know. And sorry, he benched Bosby, and he had no one else to replace him with. Right. No, I I, I totally agree uh, with with that end part, but I think that them getting rid of or not. Or passing up on Justin Simmons would send shockwaves across Broncos country, just like it did when they cut Todd Davis, where it was just like, oh my God, now we don't have a linebacker. You know, our our our, our defense is screwed. It it just like anytime something big like that happens, Rich, like the bad thoughts always seem to come out first. It's never like, okay, well, you know, uh, we're gonna be better now. Next man up it's usually somebody like myself or, or somebody else that kind of has to, you know, kind of corral everybody and say, Hey, relax. It's going to be fine. You know, trust the coaching, trust the management. They, they got to know what they're doing. Something's up. And I'm lucky to say we kind of got lucky on that whole thing because Todd Davis went to Minnesota where uh, ironically where George Payton was at the time. And he didn't really have like an incredible season with the Vikings defense. If anything, I could have sorely struggled uh, just trying to thread in that coverage, and it went down. He got injured a couple of times, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so, it, obviously, the Broncos uh, linebacker stepped up in terms of you know not losing that type of uh, I don't know if you want to say leadership, but the the caliber that Todd Davis had brought up while he was a Bronco with Alexander Johnson and uh, Honey Bear. Now, that's not saying that they played spectacular every single game because they, they did have their mishaps, but it wasn't as bad as everybody thought. Yeah, Todd Davis is a run-stopping linebacker. He's not a full three-down linebacker who who you can comfortably put on coverage guys. You just you can't say, hey, follow that guy and, and let's let's you know let's get the coverage done. You know, we had two linebackers like that on our Super Bowl 50 defense where you had these guys that were just all over the field. I mean, Danny Trevathan was all over the place. I mean, it was it was it was really something to see, really. I mean, that 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 really if, if that didn't solidify you as a Broncos fan, I'm not sure what would. Um, and and now you look at where our linebacking core is now. You basically have two guys that are similar, similarly skilled. And that's really, I think, where we're struggling on our linebacking core is that. We don't have a speed guy. We don't have that coverage guy that can also tackle well and all that kind of stuff like we have with Danny Trevathan. We have basically two run-stopping linebackers. And if again, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, I have to redeem myself somehow from my Tom Brady comment earlier is uh, if you're going to look at the two linebackers, the more versatile of the two is in fact A.J. Johnson, or sorry, Alexander Johnson, rather. Um, Honey Bear, as much as it seems to be like an absolute, you know, good guy and, and a great, you know, great person and has all the heart in the world, if you're looking at actual skill sets and what they can do on the field, Alexander Johnson, between the two of them, is the better of the two. But at the same time, neither of the two are, you know, blow you away, you know, wow. <laughs> Raul Flores asked, so now that the Broncos did have people on the stands, how will this affect getting players? I'm going to guess that he's probably talking about the salary cap, uh, seeing as how it's supposed to go down since NFL teams and the NFL League in general didn't make that much money because... I have uh, some numbers on that if you want. Uh, me personally, I don't think it's going to be 
a gigantic drastic loss because the Broncos aren't the only team that are that's going to be affected by the salary cap it, it, it's everybody so obviously they're going to have to make some tough decisions there's going to be players on the team that are going to have to take uh restructured contracts and uh, so who knows free agency could be really crazy folks keep that in mind because we could see players that if they don't get the team friendly deals that they want you know they can walk and they'll go to a team that has the money to give it to them and you, you know it, it'll it'll be really interesting to see yeah it just i actually have some numbers on the uh because uh, I, I did some digging uh, actually last year because i was quite curious because I had kind of thrown some stuff out saying, well, surely the seats and stuff like, you know, the selling of the seats and getting bums in seats and, and you know, the beer sales alone, um, you know, must really put a, a bunch of money in the owner's pockets. And it basically from the numbers that I heard, it was somewhere somewhere between the 10 and 20 percent in terms of the annual revenue of the NFL worked out to uh, both ticket sales and um, concession sales. Mm-hmm. So uh, for the owners, like in terms of the actually ownership's uh, re- revenue. So really at the end of the day, you were not looking at an absolute devastating blow by not having bums in seats. Now, that's still 50, that's still 10 to 20%, right? So, I mean, like, <laughs> you know, we, we, we don't want to just belittle it completely. And, and that's really something important to keep in mind. So yes, it had an impact, but it's not quite as big of an impact as I think you might think. It's just, no, it, it makes every game look weird. Right. Right. Like there's no like particular home field advantage, right? Right. All right. Uh, before we close the show, Rich, let's uh, get to this question. Who is your favorite Bronco of all time? Not named John Elway. I grew up idolizing Dennis Smith and Steve Atwater. Now, I've been thinking about this question for a little bit since our good friend Kenneth Booker put it out there. And, you know, normally when I get that question about who's my favorite Bronco, the first thing that comes up to me in my mind is number seven. But since he asked, you know, not named John Elway, I had to really think. And the only other thing that I can think of is I'm a really big fan of Carl Mecklenburg. I mean, the way that man used to get the people and just hit them, just amazing and it was old school football you didn't have to worry about getting flags and whatever he had one job go get the guy with the ball yeah i like mecklenburg um i'm gonna go a little bit more recent i'm i'm as a as a rugby player and and kind of playing that kind of rough and tumble style football I always like the real physical people uh, on the field. So I like the early days when we had TJ Ward, where he was hitting people pretty hard. Um, I like those types of players. I liked some of the Atwater hits and stuff like that, where you saw like those, those real punishing hits over the center. But I'm going to go kind of back to the other side of the ball and the offensive side. I was always a huge fan of CJ Anderson when we had him on the team. I always felt that he was underappreciated. I always felt that John Fox made huge mistakes with not playing him more earlier in his career. And I really appreciated what he brought to the team, particularly in that running game, because he was a guy that was extremely hard to bring down. And he was really, if you're looking at it, responsible for a good number of those breakout plays that helped us get to those next levels in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, let's be real. He had one of those like jaw awe inspiring runs against the Raiders. If we all remember that game where he like ran through the whole team, not so different from what uh, beast mode did in terms of, you know, pushing people out of the way, but he just meandered through an entire team and made it right back. So I, I really like CJ Anderson personally. That was, I'll, I'll, I'll pick him. Yeah. Let me just say as an honorable mention, Elvis Doomerville, who has probably my most favorite sack on Tom Brady. That's not named Von Miller. I mean, that sack, he lifted Brady off of the ground, and it's of anything short of a miracle that Brady did not fumble the ball because he did not see him coming. He got hit. He went down. Just great, 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 great all the way around. So, unfortunately, folks, that's going to do it for our show today. Thanks to everyone for coming in and joining in. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the content. As always, we are part of the MHRT family, so... Check us out down there on YouTube, MHRT Podcast, on Facebook, at us, so you can keep up to date on everything that's going on, MHRT and Broncos Talk as well. Follow us on Twitter. My Twitter name is at A6Foot10Mexican, the letter A, number 6FT10, the word Mexican altogether. 
follow my co-host richie rich rich at r-i-c-h-i-r-i-c-h-e-h you give him a follow give myself a follow you can follow us on there ask us questions same thing with on mhrt podcast uh i'm gonna say this in spanish rich so stay with me don't fall asleep Damas y caballeros, ya llegamos al fin de nuestro programa. Gracias por sintonizar y vernos en vivo por mi compañero locutor, Richie Rich Rich, y por mí. Nos pueden seguir at MHRT Podcast en Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. Si nos están viendo en vivo, pueden ver nuestros nombres al lado, donde nos pueden seguir si, uh, personalmente en Twitter, donde nos pueden hacer cualquier pregunta y cosas que quieran decirnos, si les gustó el programa, si no les gustó, ideas o cosas que quieren ver para el próximo capítulo. So, por favor, den sus uh, respuestas, déjenos saber qué es lo que quieren y yo con mucho gusto se el placer de responderles. Ya. Yeah. <laughs> so, with that in mind, I'm Adan Diaz. This is my co-host, Richie Rich. Richie, we'll see you guys next time. So long, Broncos country. Thank you very much.